Hey guys, welcome back. I hope your holidays were the stuff of stories and not news stories because no news is good news unless we're talking a BuzzFeed puff piece called 20 Great Things You Only Eat at Christmas or 5 Ways to Avoid Present Burn. Number 3 Will Irritate You. Next live episode, February 4th, we're talking to a Melbourne music legend, Mick Thomas, of seminal pop rock band, and I always mess this up when I try and say it, Weddings, Parties, Anything. I'm reliably informed he's a loose cannon with an axe to grind, so one to catch for sure. Right now, though, we're talking to a bit of a Canberra icon, Beck Taylor. She plays in Sex Garage pop band four-piece Fun Machine, who just slew Woodford. She plays usually naked in three-piece femme punk outfit Glitterous. She used to play in two-piece Yes No, and she plays one-piece as Beck Taylor. And sometimes her band is called the Tech Bailers, which is the only Spoonerism band name I've ever heard, so I love it. Feel free to send in some others though to our Facebook group page. That would be the best if you know any other Spoonerism bands. I don't imagine there's that many. Anyway, she teaches, she books tours, she plays keys, guitars, drums, she sings. She's like professionally, I think she's got a master's in singing. She's been a lawyer, she speaks French, look, she's out of control. So let's see how she manages to get all that stuff done while we're still reading 62 ways to deal with holiday hangovers, holding cat gifts, or whatever. Explain the show to me. Oh, okay. Welcome to Wait Long by the River, where we go around taking happy snaps of all the old posters that are decaying on the signs around our neighbourhood because we need to obsessively keep a record of every creative <laughs> endeavour that ever happened rather than just letting it disappear into the ether like good Buddhists should. Uh, today, I'm here sitting out the front in Chile, Canberra, out the front of the front with multi-instrumentalist, French-speaking, law-completing, masters-doing, band-playing, <laughs> piano-teaching, maestro, Beck Taylor. Hey, James. Hey. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that intro. That's okay. That was very nice. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you tick all sorts of boxes. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I've known you for, what, 10 years? Yeah, maybe 10 years. So wow. this is the first sort of... Uh, vintage podcast that I've done. <laughs> Where I sat down with someone who I actually know well rather yeah. than sort of meeting them for the first time. Yeah. This is going to have a different vibe. It's yeah. really good. You asked me to explain what the podcast is. Mm-hmm. So that's good. This is a show where I talk to creative types about what keeps them ticking creatively rather than yeah. just sort of trying to like, tell me about this one song that you wrote and then get to the history behind it. I want more like the history behind what it is that keeps you making nice. art. And how you keep doing that in the face of life? Yeah. Because the big question that keeps bugging me is how do you how do you keep being productive and making stuff happen and keeping that side of your life aflame in the face of everything else? In a country that doesn't support it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is great because it's impossible to talk to you for very long without hitting on like five or six of those <laughs> those <laughs> options. Uh, it's true. Yeah. So, I mean, who are you? Grew up in Sydney. Grew up in Sydney. Yep. In a um, very sheltered environment. Mm-hmm. Um, got really itchy feet when I was finishing school, so decided to leave completely mm-hmm. and moved to Canberra for uni. Always thinking that I'd probably end up in Sydney one day, and then more and more I'm realising, no, I don't want to go back there. All I've right. forged a new life here, and I'm, I like it here. And I, I guess I was always a musician from an early age. My grandma... Um, took me to music classes and all these concerts of 
like opera and stuff that you wouldn't think a three-year-old would like. But apparently I just loved it so much. I think just because I was exposed to it early and she used yeah. to put on music and I used to run around the house listening to music. And as soon as any, there'd be a drop in the music, I'd stop. Oh, and right, they so keep running like around. Natural <laughs> musical chairs kind of thing. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's what I interpreted the music as. You had to run and then you had to stop when it stopped. I don't know. Wow. But I've, I guess I, I did a lot of things and went through a lot of confusing years of like, should I be a lawyer coming from a sheltered background? Mm-hmm. Do you think you should do a profession? Yeah. Or should I be a musician? I guess that's not a very practical way of doing life. Let's be a lawyer. And then realize I can't be a lawyer. Um, so I'm a <laughs> musician and I teach music. And right. I just kind of fell into that. And I really love it. So, yeah, it's kind of nice when life presents you a path and it feels good. Yeah, so it's a bit a bit by choice and a bit by uh, you don't think you could be a lawyer. You just don't think you could do it. Yeah, I don't know. I worked a bit as an assistant in when I was at law school in mm-hmm. undergrad and I had a real real physical emotional reaction to it and, real, and didn't want... I don't know. I don't know if it's it's the profession of law or it's just an office job where you're pushing paper a lot. I I wanted to give more to the world. I thought that there's people out there who are really good at that and I wasn't one of them. <laughs> and there's things that I'm much better at yep. and I'd rather put my energy into something that energized me back and mm-hmm. energized the world forward. So I don't know. I feel that my skill is in music and showing people how much you can love music. So that's what my ethos of teaching is probably. Fantastic. So... Yeah. Is that sort of a recent discovery? I mean, you knew that music was your thing from an early age, but is it tough to try and find the area within music that works for you? Yeah. You you deliver it as like a great one-liner now that you want to show people the magic of music and bring them into it. But did you think at one point that you were going to be the next Kate Bush or Holly Throsby or who's the big name? Missy Higgins? Missy Higgins, yeah. Missy Higgins was a big personal hero of mine yeah I had I definitely and I'm still having conflicting musical um goals mm-hmm. coming from like classical you know I think I did 10 years of classical piano and yep. then got sick of it started doing pop and jazz and started teaching myself which I'd encourage young people and old people just do what you want don't feel a teacher has to tell you what to do was it moving to uni that sort of flicked that switch for you yeah I think it was and like I started a classical degree music mm-hmm. degree in first year when I was 18 and very quickly dropped out realizing that I didn't want to sit in an orchestra my whole life and play someone else's music mm-hmm. to the exact accuracy that I was expected to because for me that wasn't the creative spirit that I'd kind of developed so yeah I guess it's it's difficult trying to figure out your musical self like maybe James you have a similar like thing it's like there's so many different types of roles that musicians can have in society. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out whether you fit in one or you forge your own is a really difficult choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's almost, there's sort of an infinite number of choices. Exactly. Like it's not like, like in law, you can, yeah. there's at least a list. You can say, yeah. oh, corporate law, accounting law, contract law. Go to this law. firm. Yeah. yeah. We're firm. Exactly. Exactly. You can just look at a there's list of already firms. people that will play you to do it. I mean, in a sense, record labels used to sort of fill that thing. Because yeah. you could look at Domino and go, oh, well, they're all doing sort of upbeat soul stuff, and I could definitely join a house band at Domino. And that yeah. was like a career path. Whereas yeah. these days, I certainly wasn't exposed to any list of options. No, definitely point. not. And I think in the arts in general, you have to forge your own career no matter what. And that was mm-hmm. a difficult choice that I made a couple of years ago when I was going through a period of change in my life where I was like, no, I'm not going to do law, but what am I going to do? And trying mm-hmm. to figure out, do I just try and be a performing musician? Do I yeah. try and start a record label? Do I try and be a manager? Do I do teaching? Like there's no one path in music. And that's mm-hmm. what I find is so difficult and no one tells you this. And also there's probably not one path in many careers. 
No, it may seem that way from the outside, but yeah. on the ground, there's never just one path towards yeah. anything ever. But things like law and accounting and the professions are easy because you finish your degree, you do well, you pick the path, which is going to a grad, and it's just like you start ticking the boxes and it's easy and put ahead of you. While in music, you really have to never rest on your laurels. You always have to be working towards the three months from now. And yeah, it, and it is exhausting. So you have ahead. to think. You have to think ahead. Oh, is that real? See that? That you was know? what I was trying to get away from when I dreamed about being like a big rock musician. Was yeah. the idea that you yeah, live too. in the moment and you played what you were good at. Yeah. And and the other stuff happened. Exactly. That, and people know? just do the other stuff for you. And I realized like um, it's a rude shock learning that that's not the case. I play in a band called Fun Machine, um, mm. where we kind of you know decided a couple of years ago. To that we were going to go semi-professional and get a manager and booking agent and starting to get the team around us that a lot of people who don't play music don't realise there's a lot of teams around musicians Mm -hmm. that, you know, once you get to a stage where you're touring a lot, there's a lot of work to be done and you can't do it all yourself, so you need to get the team. And then I assumed that meant less work for me or less work for the band and Mm -hmm. it was the exact opposite. Like, even though you have more people working for you, you still have to do more work because suddenly you've got more to do and more money's going through and more money's getting taken Mm. out. And do they motivate you a bit to do work or do they point out things that you didn't realise you had to do before? Maybe, yeah. It's just more and more work. So, it's one of those things as a musician, like, you have to have a million pots going at once, especially Mm -hmm. to make a living. And so, yeah, it's it's a difficult life path, but... I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> oh, that's good news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. So, before Fun Machine, you played in a whole bunch of different bands. Yep. Many of them with me, which yes. is good. Yes, awesome. Uh, Beck Taylor and the Tech Bailers, leads yeah. to mine. Uh, are you doing solo stuff again? Yes, I'm doing lots of solo stuff at the moment. I'm awesome. actually going to be recording a solo album in January, my first one. Good news. Yeah. You know, fly in some usual suspects for that, get some Nick Pedal, that kind of thing? Or Possibly. Just, just I'm not go? sure. I haven't fully decided, so I haven't told anyone this that I haven't fully decided, but I'm thinking of just... This is a scoop. Yeah, this is a scoop. Yeah, all So right. I'm going to be recording in January mm-hmm. with Dax Linear. Great. From um, Puzzle Studios. producer. Yep. Yep. Really cool. And we're going to be recording, hopefully, at the School of Music on that amazing Yamaha C7 piano. Um, but I want it to be probably with a drummer because mm-hmm. I've been playing a lot solo recently and I've decided I'd... Solo is a little bit restricting. You mm-hmm. probably know that as a solo musician, James. Yeah, on the other hand, I find it it's the most freeing thing in the world. Maybe it's, I, yeah. Because having to remember what other people are doing rather than just, if I yeah. apply to fancy, I can just do what I want. Exactly. Live, anyway. Yeah, that's When you're true. recording an album, it's better to have some people around you who are making you stay in time and making you think about structure. Yeah, and I, I think it's the interaction between musicians that I like a lot, mm-hmm. that it's like me by myself, I can do whatever, but it's only me. Well, if there's someone else, at least there's a relationship going on and there's two musical bodies and there's the combination of that creates much better product in the end, I think. Which is the David More Byrne, Brian Eno sort of school yeah. where they're like, look, you can do some good stuff on your own, but we're so much better together. Exactly. That's yeah. what, like, my best stuff musically through my life has definitely been where I've collaborated with heaps of other people, yep. you know? Like, that's for sure the best. Mm. And so, and often I prefer listening to people with other people. So, which is interesting because I, I write solo, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm writing my solo piano vocal stuff. Um I write by myself. So letting other people into your own projects is often a really difficult part. You probably... Oh, yeah, I still haven't really mastered that. In fact, I was just saying before when we were chatting, uh, I'm sort of terrified about having a co-writing session next week. Yeah. Going in there with the aim of writing music with somebody. Yeah. It's like, Whoa, it's I've hard. never been good at that. Joe Oppenheimer is forever trying to 
you know, I come up with a good idea and I play it and he goes, that's great, that could be a song. What could it be about? Let's do this, let's do that. And my immediate only child thing is to is climb to, up and yeah, go, no, put it's a wall up. Thing. Yeah. Like, what? You can't, ex- this is expressing me, not expressing us. Yeah. It's a hard one. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel, I've, over the years, because I definitely started like that, because I started writing songs solo and wanting to just to be solo. Yep. But then I started realizing how much, not better, but how much more fun and better mm-hmm. the end results like fun machine was essentially a collaborative project from the beginning no one really had a song where it was just that person writing the song we always jammed it as a band we always came to the final product with lots of people's input and that's why i think the project was so good if it was just me trying to write for fun machine i think it would have been shit or if it was just like one of us but it's the collaboration so i collaborated recently with um david finnegan Fantastic guy, future friend of the show. Future friend of the show, yeah. Who's this amazing writer, playwright, producer, genius Uh, artist. Yeah, talk about a guy who lives his art. Yeah, he's actually in Sweden, I think, at the moment, doing a tour, um, putting on some sort of kid show or something. Um, Anyway, um, we did a collaboration a couple Mm -hmm. months ago um, on a song that he wrote, uh, a poem that he wrote, and Mm -hmm. he got me to work with him and his brother, um, and we... Created As a band they called Finnegan and Brother. Finnegan right? and Brother, yeah, yeah. Nice. and we collaborated and worked on you know the music and worked jammed it all together and came up with this like great product of a song called Roadkill, um, and it was just so much fun. Like I've never worked with a like with a writer before, yeah. like David Finnegan, and it was this like wonderful experience of him learning so much from me and me learning so much from him, and it was like, wow, this is like. There's so much content in his lyrics that I would never have put in my lyrics. Yeah, and he comes to it with this totally different framework, right? Yeah. Like poets are always trying to break structure and yep. reimagine structure, and structure is sort of one of the first things they start working with. Whereas with music, y- it's easy to set a structure up and then fill it in. Fill it in, exactly. Yeah. And usually I write mus- the music first and the lyrics kind of fall in naturally from what it, mm-hmm. the tone connects with the music type thing. Yep. Um, but this time it was like the lyrics are written. The story is there. The, the story feel is, is there. The feel you is have there. To try and capture the, vo- the feel, and it's like yeah. being a, um, a movie. It's like yeah. Composer. It's like program music. So it was really What's interesting. Program music. Program music is um, music that expresses something in the real world. Oh, so cool. like you know, the term the Bussies, the sunken cathedral, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful song about yep. the cathedral coming from up under the ocean, and then it gets really loud as it comes up mm-hmm. above the ocean, and then it goes down again and sinks. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the cathedral. <laughs> See, that's one of the things yeah. I love talking about you because you actually know what you're talking about. So you can come out with things like that. Like, I learn 99% of my music theory from people just casually referring to something <laughs> and me going, whoa, what is that? Wim Glenn is fantastic for that, really? the gypsy jazz guitarist oh. guy. He'd just take for granted that you knew something and so he'd be like, yeah, so if you could just pedal bass from here to there and then we'll do something, I'd go, wait, 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 pedal bass? <laughs> it's really, really cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, and so you're, I mean, that... Oh, there's so much I want to ask you about because you're <laughs> studying music again. Yes. Having you started and you stopped. So I started and stopped because I didn't want to be a classical musician, and it was very. I find I find classical music very limiting. Okay, so hold on. You went into the degree with something in mind. Yeah, I went into the degree wanting to be a musician. Yep. Thinking, oh, this is how you become a musician. You do a music degree, it's how right? You become anything, you right? Know? You study yeah, it and you, then do you do the do degree. It. Yep. And then six months later, I realized that that I would be trapped in an institution being told by my teachers what to do and how to play and mm-hmm. how to think for three years and it would crush me. And I right. felt really suffocated, so I quit. Well, good on you for recognising that yeah. before. Yeah, and a lot of people 
But then, it, you know, it would have been good to do the degree and keep my own individuality, but I just decided that the whole thing freaked me out, so I left. Yep. And then I was always decided that I wanted to do some sort of music, further music study mm-hmm. later on. And about a year ago, I decided that it was time to study some music. So I went back to uni and I did a, I'm doing a master's degree in music at the moment. Cool. In yeah, performance? In performance, yeah. Yep. Piano and singing. Yeah. So and... Did you get drawn into that? Like, did you have a moment where you were certain that was a good idea? Or did you just sort of think, oh, I should give this a go and, and I'll take a punt on it? Like, did it feel like a risk going back into it? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, it's a lot of money and it's a lot oh, of Of course, because you actually have to pay for masters. And yeah. I didn't even think about well, that. Well, no, you put on hex. Yeah, but, but still. But still, it's like same cost as an undergrad, yet it's only a year and a half type thing. But wow. it's, it's one of those, it was definitely risky because I didn't know whether I would have the same reaction Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm just a radical and I'm against music institutionalized education, which is pretty much true. Yep. <laughs> but the good thing is I get to do a lot of um, research there on cool. alternative types of teaching. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm teaching, I run a studio of like 30 students um, and I call myself a contemporary um, music teacher. Yep. So I'm teaching kids and adults kind of like skills that they can use in their life to take music into their life. Yeah. I'm not I'm not the type of teacher that tells them you need to play this six times and then play the scale six times and then before you be able to play this piece you have to play these scales. Like I don't like believe Like the gym in method, method yeah. where it's like 12 reps of 32 repetitions each. Exactly yeah. and it's work. So I'm more of a teacher who's like what do you want to play? Do you want to be a folk musician? Great. I'll teach you as much as I know about folk musician. Yeah, here's how to finger pick. Here's how to finger pick. C, F and G. Here's three performance yep. opportunities if you want to work towards them. Why don't we do some songwriting? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, which has been really, really fun and I get to study it at the moment in my master's degree. So at the moment I'm writing a new student choice model. Like a syllabus, sort of. Kind of. It's like a... Choose your own adventure syllabus? Kind of, yeah. It's like it's like a vague flow method mm-hmm. of um, teaching a student what they want to learn. So giving them giving them power in the lesson. So it's, it's essentially like instead of the teacher being in charge and doing everything, telling everything to the student, the student having no power, it's kind of the things are flipped and the student and the teacher are more equal. Mm. So the student, the first question you ask the student when they come into the lesson is, um, what do you want to work? What do you want to use your lesson for today? Yep. Instead of, Let's do your scales. Let's do your pieces. It's oh, like good to see you sit down. Here's what we're doing today. Yeah, and you get into yeah. that easy form of the teacher being the director. Yeah. But now, but I want to give my students the freedom to be able to be like, actually, Beck, this isn't working for me. Can you teach me some singing today instead of piano? I want to. Pl- I want to sing in this band. Let's do it. How old are the people you're working with? Because I don't know how many young young people would be self-possessed enough to to make those calls. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, every Everything from age six to most of my students are between six and fourteen. So you have to figure out the, the natural decision-making processes of people across a really broad yeah. area developmentally. And it does get difficult for the shy students and the young students. Um, yeah. But the way to get around that is to, if they don't know what they want to do, which does happen, you give them a lot of choices that you've kind of pre-prepared. So like mm. I have like a, you know, an eight-year-old really shy little boy who never knows what he wants to do. He just likes playing piano. So. I suggest a couple things each lesson that he I know that he might like to do. Yep, because you get to and know he, him, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, let's play flashcards. Mm. I love flashcards. Oh, great, can we learn a Christmas carol? You cool. know? So oh, I suggest, you want to learn Yankee Doodle or this? And he'll be like, actually, Yankee Doodle sounds great. Cool. Yeah, so like it's, it's this climate of choice that you have to provide your students. So presumably everybody who's first... 
like the first interaction that people who love music would have with music is hearing it. It mm-hmm. seems obvious, but it's worth stating. Like mm-hmm. you say, what draws you to music is the, the, the experience of listening to it. So you're bringing that into the lesson and saying, you're playing them a couple of things and if they have that same reaction that yeah. brought them to music in the first place, you then teach them it. Yeah, I guess so. But another point worth mentioning is that playing music and listening to music are two different things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a student or anyone will have a different reaction to listening to music than to playing it. So, like, I might hate listening to Fur Elise, mm-hmm. but I love playing Fur Elise. Do you know what oh, I mean? that's so tricky. So, it's what you really have to do, I reckon, as a teacher, is to get the student playing music as soon as possible. So, not, you know, not too much watching mm. this, the teacher be good at playing music, like... Wow, it's like getting getting them playing with you, even if it's just like playing one note over yeah. and over again. It's kind of like you want to – the kid wants to play. The adult wants to play music. Yeah, it's the experience. I mean, I feel that way about sport. I'm, I have way more fun playing sport than yeah, I do watching exactly. it. So um, it makes perfect sense with music. I just hadn't really thought about that before. You know, when you're about to about to play, watching yep. a band. Oh, uh, yeah, your support's playing and you're just going, come on, come on. Yeah, get I just want to get, get on. Like, yep. I just want to play music. <laughs> like, yep. Or you want to join in. Mm. So that's why I think this brings me – to an interesting point, which is classical music culture has changed so much. Yeah. And now classical music culture is this, like, elitist, the musician who is the perfection of the instrument, has no yep. mistakes, is exactly what you assume it's going to sound like, mm-hmm. um, is on stage, and the audience is silent, sitting in the audience, like, watching yep. the musician on stage. That's not very natural for humans to be not participating in music when music is going on. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I mean, you, you humans tap your are all toe musical. And then you, yeah, people want to sing we along. We sing, you yep. know, sing like. And what I've learned really from uni and doing research at the ANU, which is has a really strong musical research department, mm. um, is that every single human is artistic and every single human is musical. There yep. is no such thing as talent. If you get kids into music early, you might call that talent. But really, I don't think there's anything. You know, there's family conditions that produce people that are very trained at music and are better at being creative at music because they're doing music from age one. Mm -hmm. But really every single human is musical and it's just being exposed to it and singing and joining in and making music from a young, from even from an old age, you can just start making music heaps and then you'll just get better at responding to music, listening, playing in time. So yeah, I've had this full flip actually from going like, yes, some people are talented. Oh, that student comes to me. They're already talented. They must have this Mm -hmm. natural innate ability. Yep. But it's really because they've just been playing music for already five years and they're only seven. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Whilst so it looks amazing so compared to what you used to. Yeah. yeah. But a seven-year-old who's never been exposed to music except for listening to it on the radio will have no idea how to clap in time. Well, that's what I try to tell older people who say, oh, I wish I'd done I music know. when I was young. You say, well, it's it's composed of parts that you're already an expert at in, in your life. It's composed of rhythm, which you have every time you walk anywhere. Exactly. And it's composed Heartbeats. of tones, which you do when you're trying to manipulate somebody in the way you speak and you're trying yeah. to ingratiate yourself to them. And it's composed of uh, forward planning, which you do every time you try to write an essay so or write true. a report or whatever. And yeah. So you've got all the skills. You just need to put them together into this new thing. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And organize it. Mm. I just watched a John Cage documentary last night. <laughs> he was hates it, music. Was it called 4255 <laughs> or something? No, it was called um, John Cage on silence. Oh he yeah, says that silence is the best um, form of sound because we don't have silence anymore in cities and silence isn't actually silence. Silence is traffic and traffic is constantly changing mm-hmm. while music, Beethoven will always sound the same whenever it's playing. So scarcity increases value, the way he's talking about it. Yeah. It's like back in the day, it was mostly silent and so people made music and that was special. But Maybe. now there's music everywhere. 
Yeah, so ma- Silence is special? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. He's a crazy guy. <laughs> he is. He <laughs> lives outside the normal thing that yeah. we're used to, for and sure. And he hates music. He, he like prefers random sounds to music. How like Andre Agassi, one of the greatest tennis players ever, hates tennis. Really? Oh, How funny is that? Despises it. Like, really, really genuinely, he just hates it. He was like, look, it's, wow. my, it's what I'm good at. It's what I'm put on this earth to do. He hates it. Do it as well as I can and then go home and try my best to forget that I've ever played tennis. Really? Oh, That's sad. Despises it. It is a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you feel for him. The mystery there for me is once you've reached a certain level of comfort and wealth and success and fame, just quit. That's, that's what I reckon. Yeah. Why would you Surely keep playing into your 30s? Enough. Yeah. But something in him was driving him, like something in Philip Glass is still driving him to sit down at the keyboard yeah. and try and make stuff that's, that yeah, reflects that's the nature that he loves so much rather than just, just going out. It. He could just sit in the woods. Yeah. We could never hear from John Cage again. Yeah. And that, that would suit his philosophy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You've done lots of stuff and you've learned a lot of stuff about music. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're 19, and as we were when we were 19 or 20, yeah. like playing in a band but just absolutely clueless. Yeah. Like just not knowing what to do, trying to organize your own gigs and then playing in like a football oval to 10 people yeah. or <laughs> playing at Unibar to yeah. no one yeah. and getting paid in beer and thinking that was cool. Yeah. What could we tell those people now that would, that would just make things that little bit easier for them or give them some sort of direction or... Like, should they should they wait in a garage and hone their material until it's really good and then go out and try and play live? Or should they be playing live from the get-go? Should they be paid in beer? Like, should they just pay for their friends? I, yeah, okay. Two things. The biggest misconception, I think, in this country slash the modern Western music industry is that as a very young person, you can record one song and be famous. Uh, that's not quite a misconception because it's true. That's that's exactly, but it, it's a misconception because about one in a billion people can do that, oh and yeah, often it's those people are being exploited by companies for their youth and their image and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that was something I think that we all, as young musicians, had this idea that like, oh, we just got to record and we'll send it to Triple J, and then we'll be famous, and, yeah. and then we don't have to work ever. We'll just be musicians, and it'll be awesome. We get to tour, yeah. and then or at least they'll get back to us. Or they'll, yeah, they'll care, but then <laughs> it's a slow realization that you make that now I fully understand is like, oh, you have to be good. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you have to be good at anything <laughs> mm-hmm. to be successful at it, and that takes time. Like I've been playing music for ten years. Mm. I mean, like trying to write music and do it for about 10 years. You've been playing in this style that you're playing in now because you've been playing music, music. Yeah, for ages, but like music, originals type music for 10 years. And only now do I feel like if I was in front of an audience of thousands and thousands of people Mm. that I would be able to hold my own. Ah, yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? It actually takes If you got what you were dreaming about, you'd actually be able to... Can you imagine if we got like... That first band, like I did all the time. I know. I'm That's like, all can I dreamed about. And you'd be fine because you just do your. We do a thing, but it would set and it would end. Do you know? Oh, back maybe. in the day I don't when know. we would feverishly practice the whole song from beginning to end, and if you stuffed up a note somewhere, you'd you'd freak out. You'd freak out, which yeah, is the classical music thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. But like, really, mistakes don't matter. A lot of mistakes matter. But the real thing that I've come to in music is that you, as a performer, yep. are giving something to the audience, right? And that takes practice. Mm-hmm. Me as a performer, when I started, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what, it, you know, I was terrified and I didn't know how to work. Now I know, I understand audiences, not all audiences, but I understand <laughs> some audiences yep. and that I want to say, share with them the music that I've written because I know that some of the songs will touch these people's hearts or make them think about things in their life and yep. or say a message that I want to give them. And 
maybe it will be this wonderful exchange and that, in my opinion, is a good performance. Yep. So if I was an 18-year-old with two songs that I'd written that I was proud of, yep. got famous from one recording, it would have lasted 10 seconds mm-hmm. and I would have been probably turned off music. Yeah, because you would have thought... Oh, I got there to what I what I was trying to get, and when I got there, and, it sucked. And then, like, oh god, people were exploiting me because I was so young and whatever. But yeah. now I feel like if I was going to become, you know, rich from playing music, which is very probably not going to happen, I'd be ready. F- I'd be ready for it. And I'd be ready to make the business decisions that I would need mm-hmm. to kind of run. Like, you look at someone like Gautier, yep. played at a pretty high level in Australia for about ten years. Yeah not really making that much, for, probably working as a musician, living as a musician. Mm-hmm. And then he became worldwide famous. And then he knew exactly what to do with it yep. and makes his own decisions and now, you know, r- runs a successful music career. Yeah. While it would be much harder for, you know, someone like Missy Higgins, like, quit music after two albums because it was she so did. horrible, you yep. know, and she found Disappeared it really difficult. Ages. Yeah. And now she's back at doing what she, you know, really wants to do. Yeah. And good, good, interesting projects good, too. Like, project, yeah. like her first album back, the material was so good it and was the so production good. wasn't my thing. Yeah, but it was that soul of a young girl, yeah. you know. And then, Which and now brilliant. she's doing like a tribute to Australia and know, writing a book to so go along great. with it and trying to do like a bigger, more holistic and she's project. She's running so her own thing. So yeah, digging it. So yeah, I guess the, what I'd say to younger musicians was, is don't rush to become famous. It's this whole idea that musicians think that they'll become big. Because Triple J will give you a free ticket, and mm-hmm. that most likely won't happen. Um, the best thing you can do is to p- get as much performance experience as you can. Mm-hmm. Think of the long term, and what I'd, another business thing I would say: plan ahead. Uh huh. You know, like in Fun Machine, we got to this point where we're like, God, we actually need to plan six months a year ahead. Yep. And if you do that, then you can achieve these goals, like recording an album, releasing yep. an album, touring, stuff like that. But it's all these experiences that you need to learn. Yeah. Yourself, but if anyone wants to have a coffee and chat to me about it, you're out there. I'm, I'm up there. I'm on Twitter. Yeah, and there'll yeah. be there'll be links to all that stuff. Yeah. On the website, which yeah. makes it really I'm easy. Yeah, I'm very happy to chat and help. Um, one of those things that I dreamed about doing years ago and didn't really have the wherewithal was to follow Fun Machine's progression, because I saw that first gig when you played at Naked House. Oh, yep. Which is just a friend's <laughs> share house, but they had big naked parties. It was really great. Uh, with, like, Pete Dabrow, who's now a surgeon. Yep. On the keys. <laughs> uh, playing, like, Nintendo in the Jungle, which yep. was the big hit back then. and is now on the album, what, like, five, six years later yep. or something. So, could you take me, like, could you give me a cliff note of the progression of the that progression band? Of like, the band. Uh, just, like, you know, not in terrible detail. I just mean for the overall... Because, for me, I... I got to that stage and then got a little bit more and played gigs with 30 or 40 people and then just sort of stayed there and went up and down and undulated. But you guys actually, you kept going up. So yeah. I'm curious about what happens after you play the Phoenix for the 15th time. Yeah. Um, I guess, okay, so what happened? We started, we decided to do something stupid and play in a, a gig with a, three original songs in one cover uh-huh. at my house party. Uh, we're at the Miller gig, we would take off our clothes um, and get into bras, including all the men were wearing bras. So, like, mm-hmm. instantly, I guess, and we had a jungle jam out, which meant the crowd was dancing, and we were like, wow, maybe we're at this something. And you handed out percussion instruments, and people yeah. were already, like, taking Jamming, and, yeah, yeah, people were making music, right? Yeah. Um, and from then, we decided we wanted to record mm-hmm. and play a few more gigs in our hilariously rough style. Um, 
And so we recorded our first EP and printed it and made it ourselves and mm-hmm. spray painted it all and then released it at the Turner Bowling Club. And then we decided, cool, that kind of went well. Tried to send it around to all these record labels thinking we're going to get signed and nothing happened. And Founded we like, a record label as well, right? Nash Cap. Oh, yeah. We started a little record. With Julia Winterflood. Well, a management Who's in Indonesia firm. now. We got really excited and decided. But we didn't know what that meant. So we just kind of, Julia just sent around our stuff to mm-hmm. a lot of places and then we decided we could record another EP. Did you hear back from any of those places you sent no. that EP to ever? Absolutely no. How many do you reckon you sent out? 30? Yeah. 40? Yeah, 40, something like that. Radio, uh, community radio, Triple J, yep. ABC, yep. record labels, yep. like Sony, Panasonic, Management, big names yep, like that? Big names, uh-huh. just everywhere. We were like, screw it and we even had a press release. So that's We thought we were really cool because we had press releases. PDF, not even like a word document. Yeah, yeah, yeah like nice. yeah. And it was picture. physical. We physically mailed them around the country. Yeah. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So we're like, all right, maybe our recording's crap. Let's do it again. So uh-huh. we, re- we we recorded another EP, put a bit more effort into it, got yep. like photographer, tried to put a bit more of the business in it. Yeah. Where did you learn that stuff? Did you just look around? Did you think, what am I missing? And you saw what big bands were doing? And I did a lot of things like talk to people and ask them, how mm-hmm. did you do this? Well, you need, you need a... You need to promote your album your thing before you release it. Have Big you know? To learn. I had no idea. Yeah, see this stuff you don't learn at music school. <laughs> yep. Um, and th- that EP went was really fun, and we met mm-hmm. Sam King, our producer of our album, yep. in, during the process. And Canberra music personality. Yep. yep. And released that, and that that was really fun, and had a really great time. Started collaborating with other musicians, and by that time, we were kind of playing to you know two hundred people. And that I, I th- I'm not sure. I think it was the the dance party vibe that got that went around that, that made people keep yeah, coming back. Yeah, I think it was the dance thing that were like Fun Machine, a really good live band. Mm-hmm. It was a live band thing. It you wasn't knew it would recording. get sweaty, and you knew that. Yeah, and people came because they were going to have a hilarious, great time. Was and there anybody else doing that at the time in your circles? Um, I don't seem to remember. Any bands that were reliably dancey? Reliably a really upbeat dance yeah. band. There was a couple like rock stuff, but maybe we were kind of straddling the line of that like alternative pop rock mm-hmm. that mm, made us, I don't know, particularly interesting. And maybe our songs were quite lyrical as well. So peop- it wasn't just it was disco dance. It was, it was also original music. So that helped. Um, and it didn't sound like many other bands or anything. Yep. So yeah, we were. I guess we were onto something, mm-hmm. and then we got really excited, and put in a grant to the Arts ACT, yep, um, to work with Sam King and record a whole album, and we got it. That's which amazing. Was awesome, and that gave us a lot of confidence. Yep. Um, and it's not just about the cash; it's about uh, getting a nod from a father figure, right? It's exactly. Like, oh, it's well, like somebody else thinks, thinks that we're, worth we're it. good. Yeah. Yep. And that's when we decided to get a bit more professional. So we we thought about talk to some people and we're like how do we do this how do we right and then someone suggested like oh you release a single first and then release and do a tour Uh so we started touring um on singles and things like that and that was really fun and we just were booking it ourselves at this time and you know it'd be a lot of work um and you had that naturally like i remember the first proper tour i ever did you just came to me and said hey i booked a tour yeah i guess we were like 20 and and it's just having confidence of being like approaching a venue and being like hey i have a good band Yep. Can we play on this Friday, three months' time? They're like, yeah, I guess. Can you bring people? Yeah, sure. Nope. But nope. yeah, <laughs> you just yep. have to be confident. And then we started touring more, and then we finished the album Yep. and did another tour, and then we released the album and did a big tour. Yeah. Yeah. And touring was hard? Touring is touring is hard. That's a big reality check was like, 
realizing what the life of a musician playing their own original stuff actually meant. Especially living in a city like Canberra, in a country like Australia, where there's only like three or four big markets in the country that you can actually make money in. They're all 10 hours away from each other. Exactly. So Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra for us are the places that we could make money. And Sydney is really difficult and was always hit and miss. Melbourne is always good because there's lots of music loving people there. Canberra's always good. But realizing that we weren't, that like it was so expensive to promote the out, like, all the tours, like physically yeah. getting publicists to promote it because there's so much work to be done, mm-hmm. um, paying recording engineers, paying like printing albums, printing posters, physically traveling the band around. Yeah, just fuel. In, fuel. In and this then country. like when you go to a venue, you have to pay the sound guy. How yeah. do you? And, and we just like quickly realized like it's, it's a huge amount of money to actually do things like touring Australia. Yeah. So did you, did you get any back from the money you were spending? Or yeah, did we will. We will. We spent a lot of money making the album. That was the biggest mm-hmm. expense, definitely. Yep. Marketing it, printing it, recording it, mastering it, mixing it. Yep. Um, but we earned it all back from touring. That's fantastic. Which is great. And most of take? it from um, through two tours. Nicely done. Yeah. So we impressive. Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah. And we got a grant for only a, f- a part of the album expense, but we yeah. yeah so we, so like overall, like we've we earn quite a lot of money as a band, but the expenses that the band have are so big. If you want to keep doing it real, yeah. this is for an independent band, by the yeah. way. Um, that it's it's quite difficult, especially living in Canberra. What's what's particularly difficult about Canberra? Just that it's a small market. Canberra's great for playing in because you can actually make money in Canberra. Yep especially at places like the Polish Club or Croatian Club or whatever. It's a great but place to start as a musician yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a great place, yeah. safe gigs and reliable safe gigs, people. Yeah. yeah. The issue about being in Canberra is the rest of the country doesn't know anything about Canberra. Uh-huh. And if we're in Sydney or Melbourne, it would be easier for people who could give us a leg up easier mm-hmm. um, to see us. But because we're in Canberra, the best gigs that we have are in Canberra and that means there's no music industry in Canberra. So it 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 got it gets difficult from here. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like cuz a lot of people that come to our gigs and are our big fans in Canberra would easily be like, "God, you guys should be playing festivals, you know, we'd be easily yeah. fine at you know, Falls Festival and make the crowd go wild." But Definitely. No one at Falls Festival has heard of us. Or maybe, maybe they have. Um because None they're not in the same in scenes. Do you know what I mean? But if yep. we were working in Sydney or in Melbourne, it probably would have been easier to get to the next level from here. Yeah. So it is. It's it's great to do your apprenticeship in Canberra because there's so many people wanting to have a good time at your gigs. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want to go out. Um, you're not competing against that many, you know, like you are in Melbourne. Yep. Sydney doesn't have the venues and has issues <laughs> with yep. Sydney. And the venues you can play at, they often say, if you can't bring enough money, we'll take money from you. Exactly, we'll charge you for yeah. That. So Sydney's really hard yep. and it's very trendy-based. So doing fully different original stuff is yep. kind of not as easy. Um, but yeah, Canberra's great to do your apprenticeship in because there's so much support here. And the government mm. is so good here. Yep. So they'll give you money and stuff. That's fantastic that you can actually... Like, grants are super important, aren't they? Really good. The a really healthy arts government can go a long way a lot of musicians and artists and poets and painters that i know in canberra Mm -hmm. are supplemented by government money which means that this city is what it is because the government invests back into its culture yep 
which I think is awesome. So well done, ACT government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone go, loves go. you. Yeah. Yeah, I for one love our government overlords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have them on side. Yeah. Yeah. So. Bone Machine has a couple of really big gigs coming up. Yes. Are they still under embargo? Can you talk <gasps> about them? This on. won't come out for like a month. Oh and yeah, half. that's okay. Yeah, because it's like in two days that they announced it. Yes, we Ooh. we got into Woodford Folk Festival, which We're some just so giant excited. bands have taken like four or five years of constant apply. Like we really hard. I remember just do you know trying, do you know trying. why? It's because they don't go through booking agents. So the majority of festivals in Australia yep. has these booking agents where they go to and be like, "Give us the ten hottest acts on Triple J right now." I see. And Really, the whether those acts are good in a festival stage, whether those acts will actually entertain the crowd to the point where they want, isn't up to the festival organisers. It's really up to how trendy the band is. So sometimes you get duds. But Woodford is booked by the Woodford people. So you can't get into Woodford without the Woodford bookers loving your band. And luckily, (laughs) we played at um, the Brisbane, um, in Brisbane last yeah, um, at Big Sound Conference, which is this music industry conference that we got into yep. as a showcase artist, which was a huge career highlight, actually. And the Woodford Booker was there, and she loved us and came to our, right. like, second show and, like, took all of our merch condoms and was like, we love you guys. So, anyway, <laughs> I'm pretty condoms. sure it's because she loved us. That's why we're playing at Woodford. And that's exactly what you said about having a scene, having exactly. people happy to see your Exactly, and seeing us. It's about individuals. So, so we, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time in mm-hmm. Brisbane when the music, the bookers of Brisbane were there. Yep. So that's what I mean. Like if we say we're in Brisbane all the time, maybe we would have been seen earlier. So Canberra is, it's restricting in that way. Yep. So, so what I'd say to people is like, go and play in Sydney and Melbourne a lot. Right. If you want to. And at Big Sound. And a big sound, yeah. Yeah. And talk to the right people. Try to, and it is a lot about networks, unfortunately. Yeah. It's kind of gross, but it's it's true. And don't be afraid to get in touch with people. Like as you said, yeah. if someone wants just to talk to you about this stuff, you can just someone, talk to them. yeah, send yeah. me an email. Very very happy to get a coffee. Yeah. Talk about this stuff, whatever I know. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's almost time for you to go and teach students. Speaking of you being yeah, I probably should. Teaching yeah. students. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate talking to you. I'd Thanks, love to talk James. to you again sometime because there's still so much that I'd love to talk about. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any parting messages? Anything you got to um, plug? Anything? I mean, you're recording a new album in January. Yes. And people solo should go album. to Woodford. People should go to Woodford. Is Fun Machine going to do a broader tour around that? Not sure. More to come. But look up Fun Machine online because I've also got great. another um, a band called Glitterous. Yeah, go see Glitterous. Go see what Glitter. an We're going to be playing in Melbourne um, in early next year sometime. Fantastic. We're going to record an EP. It's an all girl band. I don't like saying all girls, but you know it is. Yep. It's just a band that happens to have women. Um, we all perform naked, covered in glitter, and it's a very big feminist. That's <laughs> fantastic. Band. Is um, it loud? It's loud and pop punk. Yeah. And it's it's good actually. Good fantastic. good songs. Yeah. So that's really fun. All so right. keep your ear out for glitterous. We're on Twitter and all that. All that stuff. Yep. All that stuff. stuff. Yeah. Cool. Oh well, thanks heaps for talking to me. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. All right, that's the show. Thanks heaps for listening. I'll put some of Beck's multitudinous musical interest up on the Facebook page. Just search for Wait Long by the River podcast and you'll be able to find our website and Facebook and Twitter and all sorts. Tell your friends if you like the show and if you didn't, keep it to yourself. 
If your new year's resolution is to get out more, I have awesome news. We have live shows first Wednesday of every month, and we've been invited to host a special once-only show, interviewing Geordie Lane at the Melbourne Folk Club in March. In case those two names don't mean much to you now, Google Geordie Lane and Melbourne Folk Club. It's a huge deal. For me, anyway. I'm playing a couple of shows soon, too, so go to james-fay.com, james-fay.com. I always say james-fay.com for info on those. Love your work. So the plan is we'll just keep it rolling for 45 minutes? Yeah, and then bail. Cool. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds good. Mm -hmm. There's stuff that I want to talk about. Yeah. And there's stuff that you want to talk about. So... Okay. Podcast before? Yes, only Nigel's though. Oh, yeah. And I've done radio a lot, but... Man, he was ahead of the game. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. And what you'd be we'd fine, do? Because you just do your... We'd you'd do a thing, but it would, set and it would end. 